WOR Newsroom, Bruce Elliott reporting. Here news as it happens on WOR. I'll have a full fifth. Stay tuned for Gene Shepard here on WOR New York, 710 on your dial. Something that I cannot prevent myself from doing. I've been fighting it all day. And I'm going to do it. I can't help it.
to do it. I'm sorry. Fought against it all afternoon. Said to myself, Shepard, no. And something inside said, yeah. I'm weak. God, I'm weak. I may even do it again. <laughs> sorry. Who <laughs> uh, deliver me? I'm going to have to answer for many things. Imagine yourself arriving before St. Peter, which is bad news to begin with because you never believed in it. <laughs> you get up there, see, and St. Peter's opening the book. He says, you're going to have to pay, friend. You're going to have to pay now for your crimes. So what about this? He puts on a record player. Why did you do that that night? He said, well, it seemed right at the time, you know. It's right at the time. Oh, how many men, how many. How many have gone to perdition for less than that? How many? And so what, what can I do now? See, well, you'll have to pay. And you reach in your pocket instinctively looking for your American Express card. Says, we do not take them cards here. So you have nothing to say? Well, it seemed right, you know. I didn't think there was nothing wrong with it. You're not telling the truth you knew from the start. Well, I didn't think anyone was listening. We are always listening. All right, throughout all eternity, throughout endless eons, you will rise on the petard that you have created. You have forever to consider your sins. <laughs> he looks down long and hard at you. And then he reaches over and he presses a silver button. Eternity, you and 17 million other sinners, sit there with your kazoos forever. Go. <laughs> oh, that was a nice draw, wasn't it? <laughs> Oh, man, I'll tell you. Life is not easy. Not easy at all. You know, speaking of, uh... Speaking of bad news, I mean, did you hear about this guy over in Rawway the other day? There was one of these clothing companies in town. You hear these clothing companies constantly advertising on the radio. And, uh... Yeah, you know, that they're having a big sale down someplace, and uh, they have this catalog that they want to send out to you on how to be elegant. 
Well, uh, they got a, a request from a guy for the Back to Campus catalog. And he's in the Rahway State pen. And uh, <laughs> I kind of like that. I, you know, that's kind of style. Eh? And uh, so, you know, everywhere you go, I mean, there's no question about it that, uh, that the devil is nipping at your behind. I mean, always. Oh, yes. How many times? Have you ever had, have you ever had the... Just a little thing cross your mind. I'm going to ask you to just once be honest with yourself, and it ain't easy. You ever walk down the street, see? And you see somebody at a place or something. Now, this is a curious feeling. Have you ever had a feeling of uh, seeing yourself robbing something? Have you ever? Not you, Marty, of course not. It takes a man with a certain imagination. And <laughs> it does, it really does. I'm curious. Now, it may be a perverted imagination, but it does take a certain imagination. A lot of people can't see themselves doing anything other than what they're always doing, which must be a blessed state of affairs. Have you ever, have you ever, uh, have you ever had the evil thoughts like uh, you're in the subway, see, and you see this fantastic chick walk in there, see, and you're all standing there hanging onto the strap, and then something says, hey, crap, pinch her. <laughs> you ever had that happen to you? No. Well, gee, you know, you may be a human mole. I don't know. I, 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 uh, these, these are things uh, uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm just curious whether or not uh, we will pay for thoughts. Does one, does one have to, uh, you know, writhe in the river sticks for having thought a bad scene? Well, then we're all dead. There ain't nobody. I'm just, <laughs> ain't nobody. <laughs> oh, I mean, there's no way to fight it. I, I, uh, I, now, I'll tell you, I, I, I personally, I, I might as well con confess here something. I personally once was, uh, was, uh, inadvertently involved in a crime. And I was inadvertent. I'll just tell you exactly what happened. And, and uh, you can believe me or not, but I'm just telling you. And if St. Peter's got the big hammer there, I'll have to tell him the same thing. Just, uh, Terrible thing to concede, but it happened. I'm walking along in a dime store, which is a oh, that's a believe me, that that place is a hellion if you're, uh, you know, if you, if you're a kid especially. See, and I'm walking along in a dime store, and I this dime store had two floors, and actually had a basement too. So the second floor was where I had all this stuff, you know, the toys, model airplanes, and all that stuff. So I go up there, and. Uh, I'm looking at the model airplanes. I was going to buy model airplanes. What I was going to do, they had a great model airplane department in this particular dime store when I was a kid. And I'm standing there looking at this great model, you know, and, and the lady comes over and says, may I help you? And I said, well, yeah, just a minute. I'm uh, looking for my money and all. And I discovered that I did not have enough money for this model, which is a common problem. Well, with that, the lady walked away. See? And uh, there was nobody around. Well, I put the model back. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did. This is, a, this is where, where you probably are not going to believe the story. I put the model back. I didn't buy it. I didn't steal the model. I never, I've never consciously really stolen anything. So I, I sort of was bugged, you know, and I walked around looking at stuff, and, and uh, I only had about 26 cents or something in my pocket. And, 
And I uh, walked down the stairs, and I walked around. The, I love dime stores. I happen to be really... Uh, oh, to me, a dime store is a... Is a yeah, well, it's a... It's a place of of, uh, of forbidden pleasures. It's just, uh, it really is. You can you can just go out of your bird. Now I don't know how, whether many people discover the uh, this thing. I think there's two kinds. I think there are people who just never go in a dime store. They just they they, they you know their their life is uh, Tiffany'sville. Either that or uh, who knows what. But then there's us, and that doesn't mean that you, that I can only afford dime stores. Don't assume that there is something about a dime store. That has a curious. Well, I don't know. It's uh, it's even hard to put it in words. You can't really say that you want that. So it's there, and, and uh, there's a certain atmosphere. And if you notice that that girls who work in dime stores, there's a there's an unbelievable sensuality about them. I don't know what there is it is to that. Now that's that may be all the whole thing. You know, it's all wrapped up in a whole thing. Well, I'm I'm walking out of this dime store. A kid, see. And uh, I go through the bottom. It's a Saturday morning. See, this is a great groovy dime store time. And it was a spring and everything. And uh, I was, you know, uh, I could feel the sap rising in the veins and stuff. And so I'm walking around the, the, the ground floor now. This is crowded with millions of people, see. So I'm just walking around this tremendous scene. Well, I get out of the, I get out of the uh, store now. I've been there for like two hours, see. So it's about time. I was supposed to actually be taking an accordion lesson. Hey, good morning, Earl. <laughs> I was supposed to be taking an accordion lesson. Well, I wasn't. Obviously, I was goofing off, and uh, I get I get into the bus. I am about to go home when a lady across the aisle from me says, "Excuse me, Sonny, but uh, you have something that's uh, hanging on your sweater. There's something on your sweater there. You're going to lose it." And I said, well, huh? oh, you know, what, 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 what? And I reached down, and, uh-oh, on the elbow of my sweater is a thing hanging. And I can't, I look at it, and it's a card. I, I, I pull my elbow over, and I take it off, see? What the card is, is a pair of earrings mounted on a card. Now, how they ever got on my elbow, I don't know. I guess walking around the store there, and I must have, you know, there was a, they had this jewelry department, and I'm standing there, and, and a lot of people, and the next thing I know, I've got a pair of earrings hanging. Now, you know doggone well, at the age of 10, I'm not going to steal a pair of earrings. I didn't have that problem going. So, I've got this, you know, I've got this uh, pair of earrings. So, and they're, they're, they're like fake crystal. You know those crystal types? <laughs> and it's a ball of crystal. So, oh, you know, I didn't know what to do. And it's a 25 cents on them. I had a pair of earrings. What followed, I'm ashamed to confess. I would like to tell you that my great feeling of conscience and all the rest of it made me get out of this bus and take the next bus back and go to the lady in the jewelry department and give her... I didn't. I didn't do this. I rode home on a bus and I hit him. I... I, I <laughs> I hit him in my corduroy knickers, see? And I got out the bus, and I went home. It was about three blocks from the bus station there, and I go up on the front porch, and my mother is out on the front porch hanging a rug out. 
You know, she'd put the rug out on the on the uh, porch rating there, and she'd been beating the rug, you know, and she's putting out stuff out there. She's airing out the pillows. And I walk up on the porch, and my mother says, Oh, you're a little late. I said, Yeah, yeah. She says, Where were you? It's when I was shopping. She's shopping? What'd you get? You know, she just she wasn't even listening, you know, that kind of thing. She says, I got something for you. <laughs> she says, Oh, you did? You know how a kid gets it. You did? I said, yeah. She said, what did you get for me? I said, why did you guess? Ha <laughs> ha. She said, oh, uh, Fielder Smith? Said, no. Guess again. Um, model airplane? Said, yeah, I sure want a model airplane. No. You're close. She said, well, uh, I can't guess. What did you get? And I reaches into my corduroy knickers and I pull out this earrings, which I have taken off the card, so it looks like it's $500 earrings, and I give her the earrings. She says, oh, how nice. Why, these are beautiful earrings. How nice. Why aren't they? They'll go with my black dress. Why, they're beautiful earrings. Why, aren't you? You spent all of your allowance on me. Yeah. Why, isn't that nice? You shouldn't have done that. Why, that's just so nice. Did you spend your whole allowance on me? Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Now, I appreciate that, and to, to reward you for that, that was so nice, I'm going to give you another allowance. Oh. And she takes this pocketbook she had and gives me a quarter, which was my weekly allowance. It was at that moment that I realized that I had been taught for years a totally untrue canard. At the end of every show that I... I always listened to the FBI in Peace and War. And this guy would come on... The FBI in peace and war. Once again, proves that crime does not pay. Baloney. I doubled my allowance with one swell foop, made myself the hero for at least three days at every supper, and it not only didn't cost me a dime, I was rolling in... Oh, did it bug my kid brother. Did I make points? Well... <laughs> now, that's not, I just confess. That has never come out. And I might add that... Uh, that the free, my mother actually wore those earrings. They were little, you know, fake crystal earrings. And my mother, every time she would go out, she'd say, I'm putting Jeannie's earrings on. She'd put her earrings on, you know. I'd sit back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, of course I'll pay. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, re I realize that now. I can, I can just see uh, I can just see it, you know, happening. Uh, I'm, I'm up there before St. Peter's, see? And he looks down and... Uh, He's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he reaches over and he turns off his record player and, uh, and he says, all right, he says, 
And now we have the subject of, uh, he's referring through the pages, he says, Do you recall, oh, penitent, do you recall a pair of earrings... Oh, I've got a lot to pay for. And you see, it isn't the earrings that I'll be paying for. Not at all. It's what happened after I got the earrings. That's what I'll pay for. And I could just see St. Peter looking down, your poor mother. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if my mother knows she's wearing she's wearing hot ice. <laughs> Tell you, you uh, I, 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 all. Uh, since this is confession night, I'll have to, I'll have to concede something else. Uh, I, I, I just wonder how much crime in the 20th century is directly related to, caused by, abetted by, and involves the automobile. I mean, it must be staggering. Now, I'm not just talking about stealing cars. I mean, where would Dillinger have been without uh, without Hudson Terraplanes? I mean, you know, you can't r rob a bank and then run down the street. I mean, that doesn't work very good. <laughs> and it also doesn't work very good to, you know, run out and jump on a horse. I mean, you know, now I can just see your horse. You know, he's, he gets one of those bad moods, and the next thing you know, it's 40 years in the slam. You know, your horse wouldn't start. Well, I've seen guys do that, you know, whip the horse. By the way, I've seen a... I, I, have you ever seen... Uh, I, I guess uh, this would be something only in the business. I saw a beautiful film one time of a whole series of outtakes. A friend of mine who was a cameraman, a Hollywood cameraman, a whole series of color, beautiful, produced, colored outtakes of uh, things that they cut out. He was working on these films out of westerns that he he was involved in. And there's one scene where where uh, where I don't recall who it was. I think it was Gary Cooper, one of the, you know the big guys. And, uh, of course, the, the bad guys, Jack Palance's mob, has just held up the National Bank and has shot Gene Pellette. You know, Gene Pellette was always, he was always the guy that got shot in these things, see? So Gene Pellette has been shot, and now uh, Gary Cooper says, Hey, went that way! Men, let's go! Let's cut him off at the pass! And he, they all jump on the horses. And with that, they all go, <laughs> Horses run like hell, and only one horse wouldn't go, and it's Gary Cooper's horse. And his horse won't go. He keeps hitting them. <laughs> and the horse sits there. And finally the horse turns around and gives him a bad look. Now that that was it. That tore it. So there's that scene. Then they then they repeated it. See, they went out and they got another horse. Uh, the next scene was shot exactly in sequence. Now you see Gary Cooper hollering the same thing. You see Jack Palance and his mob, you know, cackling and they go galloping off. And he says, Hey, we're dead away. Come. We've got to cut him over the pass. And with that, you see this crowd of guys jump on their horses. They start, you know, how they always go, start galloping like hell. With that, his horse goes sideways across the road. It's running side. You've seen horses do that. It's going sideways. <laughs> and Cooper's going, oh, oh, you know, he's hitting it. Suddenly the horse just goes, oh, up with the back end. Cooper slid right off and down on the ground. Cut. Well, there are thousands of those things. Cutaways. Wouldn't it be great if one could cut out the crummy stuff out of your life? Hey, can you imagine uh, a reel of cutaways of your life <laughs> showing stuff? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, 
uh, I, I, uh, I think the automobile has, is one of the reasons why we have, you know, crime has reached uh, proportions in America. And in, uh, in fact, any country where the automobile is very big reached proportions that have never been reached in the history of... Uh, most people think it's because of the fall of uh, morale, you know, m morality and all this. this uh, but, but crime, which, by the way, reminds me, this is W.O.R., and uh, we'll be, you know, fighting our way through this. I, I think crime, <laughs> I, th I think crime is the thing, see, which people will, will, given the tools and given the opportunity, more people will do it. Do you follow what I'm saying here? And morality plays very little with it, a little part in it. I think a lot of moral people are those who have never been invited. Uh, I, I, I hear guys, you know, railing against the sexual mores that are slipping. And, and you look carefully and you can see those guys have never had a chance any time, no matter what more. And they'd rather see nobody having any fun. So they just blow the whistle. Uh, oh, yeah, there's a lot to this. So, so I, I think that the automobile has caused a lot of crime to come about of all kinds. Uh, now, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm confessing here tonight. Are you curious what... Uh, what my crime is, uh, I'm going to, all right, I'll confess. I had this buddy Flick, see. Well, we were about 16 at this time. As a matter of fact, we were. We both had driver's license. When getting a driver's license uh, in the Midwest is a major thing. And it's, well, it isn't so funny. I mean, a lot of people think, well, that's because they're, they're slobs out there and they only believe in cars. Not so. That in the Midwest, of course, there's big spaces. And that meant you could go places and you could, uh, you could uh, get out of the neighborhood. Here, you've got the subway. Any guy can jump on a subway here, and in, uh, you know, in less than oh, eight, nine, ten hours, he can be at Coney Island. Well, uh, <laughs> it doesn't work like that out in the Midwest. If you're going to go, if, if you're going to go, like, say, uh, six miles for a date, friend, that's an all-week uh, operation to get there. So a car is a real important thing. So uh, Flick, who had a job, and was making dough in the summertime, got a car. And he got this old, battered, tired... It was an old Chrysler, a real battered old Chrysler. You know the kind of Chrysler with... It used to have a, an Indian on the front? Yeah, you know, Chrysler... Yeah, Chrysler had a... Had a... Had a... Uh, had a like a radiator cab. Had an Indian, you know. Pontiac had an Indian, too. And uh, anyway, this old... It was a battered old car. It must have been about, uh, oh, you know... 15 years old, something like that. And he bought it for about 45 bucks. And, but it was a, you know, it was a car. And uh, that, was, that was fantastic. And he, was, he had his own car. And he, uh, he got himself a... <laughs> did a terrible thing with it. He went out and he bought himself somewhere, got a hold of it, a bucket of aluminum paint. Well, you know, you know what aluminum paint is like. Well, this car, first of all, this car was sort of mud-colored when he got it. It was kind of mud-colored, like blotted ink color. Uh, mud, you can see a little piece of... So he, he, he sanded it with sandpaper, actually sandpapered the whole thing, and then painted it with this aluminum paint. It was a silver car. And it looked terrible. But he thought it looked great, see. So uh, it was his car. And another thing, it had no back seat in it. Somebody had stolen the back cushion out of it. And uh, so we'd all squat in the back on the springs. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, oh, another great thing about this car was, uh, was the floorboards it had in it. You could see the street through the floorboards. And yeah, you could see, you just sit in the front seat and look down, you could see the street going by and the smoke coming up and all that. So anyway, Flick had this great car. Well, it was, now, the minute you get a car, this is what I meant about crime, a car does not operate 
on its own investment. It's like a horse. Getting a horse is a heck of a lot easier than keeping a horse. As many a person has found out, you know, you can buy a horse two or three hundred dollars, and then you discover that the, the you know the the uh, stable you put him in charges you a hundred bucks the first month, and uh, he eats up seven hundred pounds of uh, stuff with fur on it, and <laughs> which comes at uh, which comes at forty dollars a month. Then it turns out he gets the glunts, uh, which means that his knee balls, his you know his knees bulge out. You know those balls they got on the knees they have to they have to lance those. And, uh, oh, I mean, you know, oh, if you've ever had anything to do with a horse, you know, friends, what it can be like. Well, so Flick got the car. See, getting a car was kind of great because in our life, all our, all our, all cars that we knew of were owned by official people like fathers. And that was great. You know, fathers take care of it all, see. Well, Flick got this car. And here it is. It's Saturday, just like now. See, he had the car from about Wednesday, and everybody's flipping, me and Schwartz and everybody, you know. Groovy, uh, fantastic, having a car. Well, now here it is. It's about 9 o'clock Saturday night, and we're all sitting on Flick's porch looking and gazing and lovingly, admiringly at this old Chrysler sitting out there. Well, now, one thing that you must understand about Chrysler's, Chrysler's are large cars, no matter when they were built. And the larger the car, the more the gas they drink. This is a physical law. There ain't no way to escape it. It's uh, it's it's uh, Newton's law, actually. The more mass you push, the more push you got to push to push the mass, right? Okay, we all understand it. Well, uh, this was an obscure point to us at the time when Flick got his car. You see, the idea was that the bigger the car, the groovier the car. Well, of course, there's problems. You you always pay, you know, you always pay. So here we're sitting in the gloom, looking at Flick's magnificent. Chrysler sitting out there gleaming with its aluminum paint. Schwartz says, let's go out for a ride. Let's go out and drive around East Chicago and holler at girls. Flick says, you got any money? <laughs> Schwartz says, what do you mean money? He says, I ain't got no gas. Schwartz says, gas? It's a, you know. And then he turns to me and says, hey, Shep, you got any money? I said, No. Well, now, that is a maddening situation. If you don't have a car, one does not hunger after gas money. One has a car, it follows like night follows day. Gas money. Well, since uh, all of us had stretched our uh, credit at home considerably for some time, we sit on the porch there for a while, trying to figure this out. Flick says, why don't we call up Jack Morton, see if he's got any money. So everybody says, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they call up Morton, he ain't home. And it's a beautiful night. You know, oh, that'll do it too. I wonder how much crime has been perpetrated because of groovy weather and stuff. You know, the sap is rising. You you begin to feel your oats and all the rest of it. So uh, it's a great night. It's warm and soft. And the Chrysler's sitting down there gleaming in the twilight. It's even, you know, it's got wheels. The wheels are meant to go around, man, not stand there, see. So Flick says, hey, I got an idea. Follow me. I said, where? He said, just follow me. We go down in the basement of Flick's house. Now, he lived in this frame house surrounded by bushes and stuff. And now it's the basementville. And it's dark down there. 
And we go skulking through the basement, me and Schwartz and Flick, and I figure, you know, I, I figure he's got some gas or something stashed down there, see? He turns on the light in the coal bin. Well, on the back of the coal bin, they had, they had converted in his house from coal to gas. And so they had a coal bin, which was left there. There were shelves on the coal bin. And he says, here it is. And he's got a red can. You know, one of these big five-gallon red cans? A gasoline can. And he starts struggling among all the junk on the shelf. And he says, oh, here, wow, here it is. And he's got a long piece of rubber tubing. Bum, ba-dum, bum. Now, at that point, I, I was not... I had heard rumors of this process. Uh, just like, you know, you hear rumors that golf balls explode. There are many kid rumors that, the, that are, are very prevalent. Uh, like if you put your tongue on the third rail, it will stick there. And they have to call a fire department. This is a big one. Uh, another one. <laughs> there are many kid rumors. One of them being, and one of the most prominent being, that if you lick an indelible pencil with your tongue, you will sicken and die. It is inevitably a cause of death. Your tongue gets purple, and it's deadly poison. You've had that one, haven't you? This is a... I knew three kids that died of licking indelible pencils. I mean, it's a fact. Uh, there was uh, many rumors of this type, and I had heard rumors of this particular operation, which I never put much credence in because it seemed to defy the laws of all, of all uh, physics that I knew, which wasn't very much. My laws of physics were, if you, you know, if you jump out of a tree, you fall down. That's about it, see? So, flexes. Okay, says you guys. I ought to get some gas. Come on, follow me. And he runs up the steps with this thing, see, with this long rubber tube, which was about four feet long, long, narrow tube, like the kind they use on hot water bottles and stuff. And he's got this big can. So now we're out in the backyard, and it's quiet and warm, and, you know, the controlled, and this is when, oh, this is when hell plays loose. I mean, it runs, you, you can lose your morality very quickly. And Schwartz says, what are you going to do? And Flick says, what do you mean, what am I going to do? Can't you see what I'm going to do, you fool, you stoop? Schwartz says, what? He says, well, I'm going to get, to siphon some gas. Schwartz says, siphon? Yes, I'm siphon, you stoop. It's at that moment that, uh, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like somebody, uh, it's like an alcoholic. The first instant that he hears that there's something other than uh, you-hoo. At first, you're a little doubtful. You don't plunge right into it. So Schwartz says, what do you do? What do you mean, Siphon? He says, I'll show you. Follow me. And so we go running through the backyards and across the alley. And across the alley, next to the garage in the dark, is Mr. Anderson's Plymouth. And Flick turns and says, shh, be quiet now. Don't make a sound. And we go skulking along Mr. Anderson's Plymouth to the back of it. And Flick very carefully takes off the gas cap. And we're watching him. We're all huddled around. He says, hey, Shepard, watch. See if anybody's coming around. I said, okay. And he starts feeding the hose down into the gas tank. Well, he gets it down there. He's just feeding it on. Now it's about three, maybe two feet sticking out of the 
gas tank there, and he sticks the end of the hose into his mouth. I couldn't figure out what he was going to see. I had just heard rumors of this siphoning proposition. I had never actually seen it done. It's like, you know, you hear rumors of vampires. and Not many of you have ever actually seen one working, and I suppose a few of you have, but the first time you see one, you're kind of surprised, you know? So uh, with that, Flick is crouched over next to the left rear wheel of the Plymouth, and he's got this tube stuck in his trap, and he goes... He's sucking away at it, and way down in the guts of the car, you can hear this gas tank. There's bubbles coming out of there. He's hey, keep an eye out. And he's, he, there's a quick heaving action. I can see Flick, you know, gasping. And he, something goes into the bushes. And he sticks the end of the hose very quickly into the gasoline can, the red can he's got, and I can smell gas. And you hear it go... It's going into the can. It's magic! It comes right out of the car and right into the can. That flick is scrunched down there and it's going... Now, we have emptied Mr. Anderson's Plymouth of every last bit of its vital juices. Flick says, where's the top? Hey, where's the top of the can? And Schwartz says, here. Flick puts the top of the can on. He rolls up the hose, sticks it into his jacket, and we go skulking back like mad past the garage, over the alley, through the bushes through Flick's backyard, down the lawn, and now we're out, out on the street. And Flick takes the can of gas, and he opens up his gas tank, and... Oh, that's a heavenly sound. Five gallons of rich, ripe Phillips 66 goes into the gas tank of the Chrysler. We throw the can in the back of the car with the rubber hose. We get into the car. Flick sticks the key into the thing. <laughs> Always had battery problems. <laughs> he said, you guys get out and push. Me and Schwartz push it downhill, and at the bottom of the hill, we are off for a night of scragging. Now, have any of you ever heard the phrase scragging? Scragging is a Midwestern term that relates to driving around like mad if you're male. And every time you see girls walking along the street, you holler stuff like, Hey, baby! Whoa! Did you see that one? Hey, baby! Whoa! Hey, whoa! I'm on a date, huh? And then you drive like mad on. You don't do anything. There's never any action. There's a lot of yelling. That's called scragging. Well, it was a fantastic night for scragging because it was early spring and they were all out. We drove all over East Chicago that night burning up Mr. Anderson's Phillips 66 and scragging like hell, you know, and having a groovy time. That began a chain of criminal activities 
which even at this point, some nights I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I stare up at the ceiling and I realize. I realize that I'm going to pay. I can see St. Peter. I'm looking up and he reaches down behind his big curly desk and he says, Do you recognize this? Do you recognize this? And he's got a long rubber tube. And then he reaches down and he picks out a five-gallon can. Dead to rights. No way you can deny it. You know why? For one thing, once you've siphoned enough gas, you have perpetual what they call octane halitosis. Your breath forever smells like Texaco. I mean, it's permanent. It coats your teeth with kerosene or something. Well... So it was, it was, then it was, you know, there was, once you do it first, I mean, it's just a fact. Uh, once you've committed your first uh, atrocity, all other atrocities, uh, they just sort of fall in line. After all, you know, it's, you know how it is. And so from that day on, every time we went, we, we gave up buying gas, by the way. That, that, we realized how foolish we had been up to this point. I mean, <laughs> you know, getting together to scratch to buy two gallons of gas. Oh, forget it. We could get the 10 gallons in, you know, 15 minutes. All you got to do is have the tube with you. Well, that was fine for a while. Now, I've got to tell you guys out there who I might be giving ideas to you. There are there and is always other sides to the story. For example, one night, I'm going to just tell you, the, 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 everything has its uh, other side. One night, I have, see, we used to trade off. One night it would be Flick's turn to get the gas, then Schwartz's turn, then my turn. And we were never breathed a word as to where we were getting this. We never, never mentioned it at home. See. Well, one night, it's my turn. Got it? Well, I go creeping down the street with my can and my... Uh, you, you had to be very careful. Nobody could see you. You know, when you go walking down the street with a red can and a long tube, friends, uh, I mean, it's just like walking down the street, you know, with a submachine gun. They figure you're up to no good. So what we used to do, it would be twilight dark, we'd go up and down the alley, see, where they never would see you. Well, there was this car that was about three or four blocks away that was owned by the, by the postman. His name was Mr. Taylor. Well, I go creeping into the backyard. There's this car. Open up the gas cap. Stick the hose down into this thing. Everything was proceeding as of normal up to this point. And everything was, you know, working good. Tube goes down. It's black. It's just stygian darkness. I got my five-gallon drum all set. I'm wearing my track shoes, ready to cut out men if there's any problems. I'm wearing my black jacket so I cannot be seen in the dark. This is important. I stick this tube in my trap, and I start sucking on it. Well, at first, I get nothing but air, you know. I hear it way down in there. I hear Sucking with it was the first time it happened to me. It came up with a rush. Tremendous <laughs> Into my gut. It caught me completely off guard. I must have swallowed a gallon and a half of the cheapest skunk cabbage gas I've ever run into in my life. You know, there's good gas. I mean, you get so you kind of like shell. I don't mind shell with a little vermouth in it, even to this day. But, man, 
I'm telling you, I got a, I got a slug of gasoline that must have been a good pint. I just, and I couldn't stop. I, I started to cough, you know, trying to cough it up, and it went down. Well, anybody out there who knows anything about medicine knows what the, a good, uh, you know, a good cocktail made out of uh, eight gallons for a dollar gas can do. I mean, you know, you know, a good twelve ounces, roughly about the size of a. Coke bottle of gas down in the gullet. Well, I continued to siphon, being innocent. I did not know, see. And I continued, that's well, fine. See, I'm siphoning away. I just, once in a while, I go, oop. You know, there'll be a strange bubble come up. And uh, listen, I was having burps you wouldn't believe. I, I, I Can you imagine what would have happened had I been a smoker? <laughs> Boom! <laughs> well, I was. And then, uh, you know, so I didn't have that problem. Well, I, I, I'm siphoning the gas, and I finally get out about four gallons of this stuff, and I go running back down the alley, and uh, up up Flick's porch, and I say, I got it. Flick says, yeah, okay, let's go. Oh, wow. So we go tearing out to the Chrysler. <laughs> we start pouring in, and, and I start pouring the gas, and, well, it must have been the smell of the gas that we were pouring now into the back of the Chrysler. Well, that gas had a fume, you know, the fumes come up, it hit me, and I want to tell you, all of a sudden, there's purple and green and yellow lights going off in my head. And the next thing I knew, I'm in the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you think you have ever felt nausea, friends, it was, I was laying on the ground. It was paroxysms of heaving. <laughs> well, <laughs> Flick and Schwartz immediately, you know, they, they, they immediately realized that this could be bad news. And uh, there are, there is no honor among thieves. You must understand this: that if you think you've got friends, friend, you don't have friends. When, when, uh, believe me, when the sirens start whistling off in the distance and the guys start, uh, you know, diving through the windows, it's every man for himself. And that's exactly what happened. Flick and Schwartz realized instantly they got a bad one on their hands. When, when, especially when I started to heave up gas. Well, they jump in the car. Away they go. Well, I go staggering home, and I, I remember they don't know anything about this at all. I go staggering up the front porch. I, I, I'm, I'm practically passed out. I collapse in the living room. My mother drags me into the into the john, and she says, "What's the matter? What? Oh, oh, oh! Wow! You know, she saw it weird." And I'm going, "Ooh, ooh!" At this point, I can't even heave. I'm just going making funny sounds. Ooh. Ooh, my mouth and everything is working involuntarily. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, I thought she was going to find out. I smelled like a human Zippo lighter. I want to tell you. It took me a good week to recover. I couldn't eat. Try keeping water down once you've drunk a half a gallon of gas. That's an exciting thing, too. Water and gas don't mix, you know. Well, I tell you, for a week, I'm barely recovering. And But from that moment on, I began to be a professional at my chosen profession, which at that point was uh, transferring fuel, is the way we referred to it. Uh, <laughs> I was in the fuel transfer business. Well, uh, I, 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 in fact, I got so good that I could tell the various grades of gasoline. Do you know that, uh, for example, Esso has a distinctly, uh, it has a different piquant taste to it than, say, Phillips does. 
And one of the most interesting gases, in case you're curious, is Amoco. Uh, and yes, Amoco is like an Alsatian wine. It's uh, somewhat, uh, uh, somewhat cheery, but yet at the same time, there's a basic, a basic somberness to it that is interesting if, uh, as a change of pace. Amoco is a change of pace gas. But for regular, I got to be, uh, yeah, for regular, uh, daily, year in and year out consumption, uh, my favorite is Gulf. Year in and year out. It, has, it wears well. It's a good table gas. And, uh, and so, <laughs> you know, sometimes when I drive into a gas station, even this day now, and the kid's back there, you know, putting the gas in, I smell these raw fumes. I think that, you know, I could smell, you could tell, you know, and I, I smell this and I said, gee, it's not bad, you know, they've, uh, uh, they've added just a little touch of, uh, a little sugar in the gas there, you know, a little touch of, uh, it's not been aged well. Aged gas, by the way, has a different, uh, different aroma. Well, the final thing came, I, I, it was not finally, we did this for about a year, and I'll never forget one night. We went to a basketball game in the Chrysler. Well, naturally, we took the, you know, we we were, we went went prepared. So for about uh, two or three hours before the basketball game, me and Schwartz and Flake went out with our can and our our uh, tube, and we all ran around and we got a nice big, good load of gas. In fact, I would say we have probably ten gallons now in the tank. Everything is cool. So uh, before the game, we rode around and to look at chicks and yelled out of the windows and stuff, and we drove over to the basketball. The big civic centers, a tremendous, tremendous parking lot, like Shea Stadium. And uh, we parked our car way out in the boondocks, and we got out, and we went into the basketball game. Well, we sit in the game, you know, we're sitting there cheering and everything's... You know, when, you, when you're a criminal, you get so that everything is sweeter. I, I mean, there's some funny thing about it. When you're working on the edge of uh, legality, uh, any guy who's ever had an extended uh, affair with a chick... Uh, knows that almost anything tastes sweeter at that point. Uh, it does. I mean, and the most uh, silly things, you know, like walking across the street, uh, uh, waiting in line for your cleaners. Uh, it all has a certain uh, tang to it uh, because of the illegality involved. Well, uh, we're sitting in this. Uh, obviously, we're illegal. You know, we're sitting in this in the gym there. A tremendous crowd is about six thousand people yelling and hollering, and uh, we've been. You know, we're on top of it. The old Chrysler's out there, and the in the parking lot, everything's cool. Well, the game is over. It's been a brilliant double overtime game, and you know we're hoarse. We spent all our dough on hot dogs, and that we've done nothing but drink uh, root beer and the popcorn, the whole bit. We're now it's split down to about three cents each. Period. Forget it, Bill. Well, we go out of the Civic Center with the crowd, a tremendous, tremendous mob moving out. It is raining like hell. Oh. In the, in the time that the ball game has been going on, it has started, it is coming down, I want to tell you, I mean, in sheets. It's not even coming down in drops. Just tremendous. You know how it is sometimes in the spring, you know, late late spring, the winter, the water. And by the way, this was a big sectional game, big, big important game, you know, like a final series and all that stuff. So there was a million people at this game, and a rain is pouring down. So, you know, we're kids. We don't worry about that. You know, we wander through the rain. The water's pouring down. We get into the Chrysler, and uh, by this time, 26 million cars are moving out of the place, and they're driving all out. Everybody's back and forth, and the horns are going, and Flick sticks his key into the car. You know, he sticks it in there. <laughs> 
It must be wet. Son of a gun. Hey, Schwartz, will you take that rag out of the glove compartment and go out and wipe off them wires? Uh, come on, let's go. And so Schwartz runs out and he raises the hood, you know, and he's wiping off the wires. And uh, and I'm I'm running around, you know, trying to trying to dry off the carburetor. And so we get the hood back down. And Flick says, okay, let's go. By hell. So for a half an hour, we tried to get that clunker going. It never occurred to us. By this time, the parking lot is absolutely empty. There is not anybody within 40 miles of us. The rain is coming on 16 million gallons a second. And finally, Flick says, I can't figure it out. He says, Listen, Chip, would you go out and check the fuel pump? He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll turn it over and see if anything's coming through the fuel pump. Maybe we lost a diaphragm in a fuel pump, which always happened in these clunkers. So I says, okay, so I run out. And you you pull the wire, you know, you pull the tube off the fuel pump, and you can feel whether you're getting any vacuum, see. So he goes, he's getting great vacuum, see. So I said, wait a minute. So I pull off the other one, nothing. You know, gas shits come flying out of that, see. I said, hey, I I think we we must have some kind of a plug in in the line back to the tank. And Flick says, okay. So I put the the two tubes back on the fuel pump, and I run around the back of the car, I say, I'm going to check. The gas cap is gone. In fact, it is laying on the street. Even then, it didn't hit me. I said, hey, Flick, the gas cap fell off. Maybe some water got in the tank. It's will check, will you? And I looked down at the tank, say, and I had this great little flashlight that was on my key ring that I got for my birthday from my Uncle Tom. See, that flash. That gas tank is... These guys siphoned even the flakes of rust out of the bottom. There ain't nothing in it. We have been skinned. And I holler out a flick. Somebody's... Some rotten skunk! Some son of a gun! Siphon the gas out! And Schwartz says, What? Which is no! Oh! Oh, them rotten crumbs! Oh no! Siphon the gas! What the heck is this? What kind of a place? We're sitting in the front seat of the car now yelling, and Flick says, Oh! If I ever got those guys that did that, I'd kill them! Siphon the gas out! Boy, you can't trust nothing! Gas siphoners have siphoned the gas tank of our car, which we have siphoned from another guy's car. Now, I'm not going to suggest that the car that we siphoned the gas from had siphoned it from somebody else. It could very well have gone through nine gas tanks. All I know is that we're sitting there and a cop comes up. And he said, what's the matter, you guys? The flicks is some rotten crumb siphon my gas! Just give me your name and address. We'll have to check on that. He says, you know, this is really getting to be bad in this neighborhood. He says, you're darn right. Darn right. It's terrible. W-O-R, New York.